And we're back. Stripe Show Podcast on a Monday. I'm your host, Travis Fulton. Thank you for making us part of your day. Stripe Show Podcast brought to you by Encore Golf. Encore designs high-performance golf balls for players of all skill levels and swing speeds. Thank you for being here. Hope you had a great weekend. Fabulous sports weekend. How about that? College football delivers. Down go the Crimson Tide. How about that? Iowa clips Penn State. Georgia Bulldogs look like the best team in the country. Lot of football yet to play. But that was a terrific Saturday. Sunday always delivers. The NFL, love watching the NFL. Arizona Cardinals, only undefeated team at 5-0. But I think the Buffalo Bills might be the best team. They really put a licking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Of course, we got another game here tonight. Indianapolis Colts against the Baltimore Ravens. And, well, my Seahawks, you know, go back to Thursday night. That was painful. L.A. Rams just put a beat down on them. We can't stop a runny nose on defense. It is a tough watch. Russell's hurt now. He's out four to six weeks. Yeah. I think... um, Our season is just about over. Thursday night was tough. It was tough for me. I didn't sleep. Went to bed pissed off. Got up on Friday. I was like, you know, let's turn this thing around. Let's have a good Friday. Changed my attitude. Dropped my kids off at school. Called my buddy. I said, hey, let's head out to the uh, Constellation Ferrick and Friends Tournament. PGA Tour champions in town. Jim and Tabitha Ferrick. Go support them. Great people. They've done so much for this community here. Hopped on the bus, got dropped off, went into the gate. Guess what happened 30 seconds later? The horn blows. Lightning in the area. Rains three inches, never saw a shot. Back on the bus, back home we go. It wasn't a good Thursday and Friday, folks, for me, but I turned things around on the weekend, had a nice weekend, and here we are now on a Monday. I want to start with Phil. I want to talk about Phil's game here a little bit, how things have perhaps stayed the same and changed since his win back in 2007 at the Players' Championship. We'll get to Sung J.M. as well. I've got a lot to say about Sung J, his win at the Shriners, and uh, and how that relates to you and expectation level on what exactly is consistency in this game. You'll want to stay for that. But we got to talk about the man, Phil Mickelson, first. He's played four PGA Tour Champions events to this point, and he's won three. Very dominant on PGA Tour champions. One of the main reasons why is because he is so much longer off of the tee than the rest of them. And we know we talk about it all the time on the PGA Tour. Length gives you a big competitive advantage. Phil has that advantage when he plays PGA Tour champions. I posted a video of his swing on Instagram at Travis Holton Golf, and I showed him on one side back in 2007 when he won the players and then 2021 14 years later and you look at those swings and you see some similarities with his body movements and then you see kind of this slight difference as well and then of course 14 years later in his early 50s his swing has gotten just a bit shorter at the top it's probably closer to parallel where when he was younger, it was certainly longer in past parallel, kind of like a John Daly. 
And what's interesting when you look at Phil Mickelson, he is a player that has been very much a part of my life and career since getting into teaching 21 years ago. When I got into teaching and you look at a swing like Phil Mickelson, you look at the length of the swing. And I think it was kind of viewed in a bit more of a negative light because this was an era when I got into teaching where it was like, we got to shorten things up. Less is more, be more compact, less moving parts. And I think we've now learned through research, biomechanics, that less isn't more. You need to move your body, free things up. Don't turn your upper against your lower, turn the whole thing together. Now, there is, we know, some X factor in things that need to be working in that manner. But the perception, I think, of the golf swing and the way that it was viewed towards a Phil Mickelson for many, many years when I got into the industry was more in a negative light. And it wasn't because of his wrist angles. It wasn't because he had a lot of extension in his lead wrist at the top, pulling it down narrow, high handled impact, a lot of face rotation. It was more just that his swing was too long. There was too many moving parts with his body. He needs to tighten things up. He needs to make things more compact. And we've seen many players that have taken on that swing, had success, no doubt, but I think have become more injury prone. Jason Day is an example of that. He turns his upper very little with his lower, has had a lot of injuries. I'm not going to get into all of that and, and why that is, but the point is, as we fast forward and now into where we are with instruction in today's world, we look at Phil Mickelson's swing, Phil Mickelson's swing from a body's perspective, I think as a good thing, right? The longer swing certainly has led to some longevity for him in what we've learned over the last 10 to 15 years. And as I've told Lucas Wald this when I had him on the podcast, I said, I think these long drive guys in that competition has been really good for our industry because we see these longer swings in this freewheeling body motion. And we say, and, and we see it, the value of that and what that means in the way of speed. And that trickled down into our industry as Phil Mickelson, perhaps being an example of that at 50 years of age, he's not hitting it at the distance they are, but he's got a lot of the same movements that they do. We see Bryson DeChambeau make that jump over to the long drive competition. And we're seeing these movements that they do really well. And we see them being sprinkled in and being more accepted in modern teaching today. And I think that's been a very healthy thing. And I think Phil Mickelson is one who's went through that whole process over 21 years being viewed negatively early in his career. And now I think being more praised by the way that he moves his body. Now his wrist angles, you can argue are not the more superior way to go about it, right? That extension in that lead wrist, pulling down lots of lag and having to let it out with the higher handle. We know that that's not probably the most efficient way to go about it, but Phil Mickelson has arguably the best set of hands to ever play the game. And he gets away with that. And there's other players that do that. But we certainly see the majority of them getting that lead wrist more into flexion, 
We know the value of that with rotation and what that means to the handle and the face and all of those things. That's for another day. We've skinned that a lot here on the podcast. But the point is, when you look at Phil and you look at those videos and you look at how he turns his left hip and he changes knee flex and he lets that right knee come across and he's turning the upper and the lower and he's loading up this free wheeling movement, making things long to the top of the swing. Now, albeit it is a bit shorter than it was 14 years ago, but the same engine and the same principles with the body apply things that you see to the nth degree in the long drive competition. Phil Mickelson has went through that period. His swing has lasted greatest set of hands to ever play the game. And I think there's so much you can learn from his body movement. When you look at that, we can have a separate conversation on the wrist angles, but the body movements staying lengthened out is key. And I'll make this statement one more time. I've said it over and over again. I lengthen more swings out than I shorten up. Congratulations to Phil Mickelson as he continues to play great golf in his early 50s, wins the PGA championship on the PGA Tour, and now his third win on PGA Tour champions. On the PGA Tour, we saw Sung J.M. win for the second time. Sung J.M. now his two wins. He won the Honda Classic a year ago, and now the Shriners Children's Open. Two wins, former Rookie of the Year. He came on to the PGA Tour with a group of young players that perhaps you've heard, Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf, and Colin Morikawa. And when these guys came out, of course, we were all very excited about Hovland. We were all very excited about Wolf. We were all very excited about Morikawa. And the conversation and the narrative was around those three. But oh yeah, there's this guy by the name of Sung J.M., He's a good player, too. In fact, their first year, Sungjae was the rookie of the year. He had the better first year. Now we look at him where they are two or three years into this. And Sungjae has two wins. As I mentioned, the Honda Classic and the Shriners Children's Open. Victor Hovland has two wins. He's 24 years of age. He's won the Puerto Rico Open and Mayakoba. Matthew Wolf has one win. He's 22. He won the 3M Open back in 2019. And then Colin Morikawa, we know, has had the best career to this point. He's 24. He won Barracuda back in 2019. And then in 2020, he won the PGA Championship in the Workday Charity, which was at Mirfield. And then in 2021, he won the WGC Workday and, of course, the Open Championship. So Colin Morikawa, of these four, is the gold medalist to this point. Five wins, two major championships. Colin Morikawa special. We know that. He's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. But the second most impressive to this point of these four is Sung J.M. His two wins, Honda Classic and Shriners, I think are more impressive than Hovland's Puerto Rico in Mayakoba. And then, of course, Wolf down there with the lone win. But it's great to see Matthew Wolf finish second to Sung Jai this week in Vegas. Out there happier in plan that brought a smile to my face to see Matthew Wolf playing some great golf. Sung JM is a terrific player folks. And if you listen to the podcast, you're probably thinking to yourself, but you never play him on Tuesdays when you're playing fantasy golf and, and making your bets. Sung Jai and I have this love hate relationship when it comes to gambling. When Sung Jai came out, I knew all about him. I knew he was going to be a great player rookie of the year. 
And I played them all the time in fantasy golf, paying 7,200, 7,500. And he was great for me. Made me some money, filled out so many good lineups with him, talked about them all the time. And as he's progressed through his career and he's become now more of that upper tier player, well, now you're paying 8,500, 9,000, 9,300 for him. Different ball game. I think he was 33 to one to win, right? So he gets a lot of respect. People know about him. They know he's a good player. They know he's a great driver of the ball. They know he can get it going with his putter. But what they don't know is what his approach game is going to do. That's the frustrating thing with Sung JM. His approach, strokes and approach can kind of fluctuate more than perhaps any other part of his game. And we know strokes and approach is the most important part of the game. And with Sung Jay, it's nothing for him to go positive four and a half to negative three like that. So that's tough, right? You get on Sung Jay, you're paying these premium dollars. And then he goes out and he stinks it up with his iron game and he misses the cut like he did at the Charles Schwab, like he did at Memorial. But then he goes out and plays good with his irons and he finishes eight at the Rocket Mortgage. And then not as good, 47th at the John Deere. And then he stripes it at the Northern Trust, finishes 16th, stripes it at the BMW, finishes third. And then didn't hit it very good at all at Sanderson Farms just a week ago and finishes 31st. That's kind of what you get, right? It's tough. I know. It's tough to be in the positive all the time in every statistic, but we see it with, you know, your more premium iron players like Amorikawa and JT. And when strokes and approach is, in my opinion, the most important stat on the PGA tour and something you're looking at all the time, when you see a player fluctuate like that, he can come across as a bit more inconsistent and volatile than, than the others. Do you feel like you are constantly overshooting greens or coming up short because you choose the wrong club? Well, if that's the case today is your lucky day because I'm proud to announce my brand new partnership with the boys over at pinned golf. Their brand new ACE rangefinder is amazing and it's only $199. I've been using it for a couple of weeks now, and I was blown away with the quality. It has a slope technology, pin-locked vibration technology, so you know exactly when you are locked onto your target tour lever accuracy. And best of all, it is powered by a USB charge, so you can forget about those little batteries every other rangefinder makes you buy. One 45-minute charge lasts you 50-plus Rounds. I love it. Our friends over at Pin Golf are hooking up all of our listeners with $25 off and free shipping when you use code Stripe Show. That's code Stripe Show. I'm telling you, for $175, you simply cannot beat the Ace Rangefinder. Head out over to pingolf.com and get yourself the Ace and get dialed in. When you look at Sunjay's game, he is an excellent driver, though. The guy can really drive the golf ball. He is in the green positive more times than not when it comes to the driver. I think he's a little bit longer than average off the tour. He's in the low 300s. I think he's averaging around 310, 311 right now so far. I think his short game has gotten better. Um, I think his short game has become a little bit more versatile and cleaner. He knows the golf course is now better and certainly played all the grasses. So I think his short game continues to get better. You look at him statistically. 
Stroke's game with a driver so far. Small sample size this year. He's 34th. Short game, he's 7th. But his approach game is, I would say, the more inconsistent part of his game. His putter can be a little inconsistent as well. But usually with this putter with Sung Jay, when you're looking at players, like you'll see Sung Jay like putt bad for four weeks, and then he'll turn around and putt great for five weeks. So you can kind of see these runs where the approach can be a little bit more sporadic. It can be a little bit more week to week. And that's what drives me nuts with Sung Jay is I can't get on the right side of that. And I didn't. So I just made the decision like, I'm not playing Sung Jay M anymore. And I say it on Tuesdays. I said it last week with beating the bookie, who, by the way, is back again tomorrow and giving away, giving away his complete golf betting package. Beating the bookie's very good at this stuff. And I talked him into giving it away tomorrow. So you're not going to want to miss that as we look ahead to the CJ Cup. Great field uh, at the summit at the golf club there as they complete the back-to-back weeks in Las Vegas. Think anybody partied Sunday night in Vegas? <laughs> I saw a tweet from Joel Damon saying, anybody want to see the pictures from Harry Higgs on Sunday night on the strip? That could be interesting. But Sung Jay, you know, he, I just, I couldn't get on the right side of him. Some people could, some people good or couldn't. It's just not my cup of tea when you see that up and down nature of the approach game. But make no mistake, when he's got that dialed in, like he did uh, at the Shriners, at TPC Summerlin, Sung Jay can win. Positive 5.4 strokes gain approach is what he was. Positive 5.5 strokes gain putting. Off the tee game, around the green, pretty much where he normally is. But then he smokes it with the approach game, and he smokes it with the putter, and he wins. How about a 62 final round on Sunday? That'll usually get the job done. But as we kind of propel Sungjae ahead here, and this word of inconsistency starts to pop up, I want to look at that word from a totality perspective when we look at score. Does anybody think Sungjae is inconsistent from this last week? After all, he shot 63-65. Then he throws a 70 in there. So his weekend rounds were 70-62. Does anybody look at that as inconsistent? No, of course they don't, right? They're going to say, no, he won. He shot 62. But if I say he didn't win, I just said, look, he shot 70 one day and 62 the next. Eight shot difference. When you're dealing with those kinds of numbers around par and under par, inconsistency is not a word that usually comes in. But I hear all the time six handicaps coming to me and saying, yeah, I shot 74 one day and 80 the next. And then I shot 81 and then I shot 74 again. I'm, I'm so inconsistent. I hear that all the time. All the time. And the reality is, is no, you're not inconsistent. You're not inconsistent at all because your skill set, you're capable of shooting all of those numbers. We all have this bell curve in what we're capable of shooting. I've taken Sunjay's last eight tournaments, 32 rounds. And I charted all of these rounds. He's shot 62 once, 63 twice, 
and 73 twice. Now, in the middle, he's got a bunch of 67s and 68s. He's shot 67 six times, 68 four times, and he's shot in 78 times. So you got a range from 62 to 73. Now, Sungjae is probably a plus six, plus seven handicap. Par to him is not 72. It's probably closer to like 68. <laughs> you know, 68 or 69 is par to him. But he's shooting 62 once in eight tournaments and 73 twice in eight tournaments, but a bunch of 67, 68, 69s in 70s, right? So his bell curve, as you can see it coming across and it loops up, you know, in that fat part area, that's where all his, his bulk of his numbers are, 67, 68, 69, 70. He's more likely to shoot in that area, depending... Um, based on his skill set, but he's also capable of shooting a 63 or a 62, but he's also capable of shooting a 72 or a 73 or a 74, right? That's his bell curve. He's capable of shooting all of that. And what goes into score, right? What determines score in the game of golf? Well, we know skill level first and foremost, your skill level have to have certain skills to shoot certain scores. So we know the guys that have the most amount of skill, men and women, are professional golfers. They have more skill than scratch players. Scratch players have more skill than eight handicaps. The other thing that goes into score is course management, right? And the decisions that you make on the golf courses. Tour players we know are, are the best when it comes to course management. They're playing golf all the time. They go in. They know how they want to attack holes. I think course management, when you look at amateur golfers in general, we certainly go flag hunting way too much from my experience on the golf course. And we're also not hitting enough clubs way too much. It's amazing how we come up short so often. And it's amazing how many times we're aiming at the flag stick. If there's two things that come out of my mouth from a course management standpoint, it's to play more conservatively and hit more club. The third is emotion. Emotion goes into score as well. There's other factors, but we're going to pare this down. Emotion, can you keep the emotion out of every shot? The old adage is, is to focus on every single shot. No matter what happened on the shot before and no matter what happened on the hole before, no matter what happened on the front nine, can you take the emotion out of it and focus in on hitting that shot. It's very difficult to do. And it works on both sides, right? Let's say you go out and you make a double on seven and a double on eight. You're standing on nine T you're pissed off. You go up, you rush everything. And now you hit it in the water, right? And the emotions got the best of you and you didn't allow your skill set to come out. You didn't allow your skill set to come out on that particular shot. Your emotions got in the way. Perhaps your course management gets in the way. Didn't hit enough club, playing too aggressive. There's a lot that goes into it, but paring it down in its purest form, emotion gets in the way when things are not going our way. It also gets in our way when they are going our way. I just played the best front nine of my career. I get the 10, I'm nervous, I protect, and I hit it in the water. Why is it that I get to 16, 17, and 18, I have a great round going, and I can't finish it off? Well, because 
the emotions get in the way. You start protecting. You don't let your skill set come out. You're not making the same freewheeling swings that you were before. So can you get your emotions out of it and let the probability of your skill set come out? And that's a very difficult thing to do, whether it's not going your way or it is going your way. Again, like course management, professionals do that exceptionally well. Exceptionally well. I hit a great shot. Yes, get excited and then bring it back down. I heard Cantley talking about that with Tiger. It's amazing how he can react outwardly, but then bring it back together for the next shot. It doesn't matter anymore. Just keep going. One shot at a time. It's tough, tough to do. A fourth factor is luck. I'll give it the 10%, which is a big number, 10% luck. How many times do you play a round of golf and it's like, man, I hit the ball good today, but I didn't score. Or I didn't play very good today and I scored. Missing a fairway one day versus the other isn't the same thing. One day you might miss the fairway and it goes in, you have a good lie. The next day you might miss the fairway and it takes a little further kick to the right and you're right behind the tree. Sometimes you hit a great shot and it goes up there and something weird happens and it goes in the bunker. Sometimes you hit a great putt and it hits something and it doesn't go in. Sometimes you hit a bad putt and it hits something and goes in. Sometimes you hit something towards the bunker and you gets a good bounce and it goes in the middle of the green two feet from the cup. <laughs> right? So there's good luck. There's bad luck over a period of time. It's probably going to average itself out, but there's a lot that goes into score, right? There's your skill level. There's your course management, kind of the, the, the decision-making side of things. There's the emotional side, the mental side, and then there's luck. There's other factors, but just kind of paring it down. Those are things that affect your score. And your score is going to have a bell curve, just like Sung JM. If you're a six handicap, for example, Let's just say your average score, easy math, let's just say it's right in there around 77, 78. So you're shooting a lot of 77s and 78s, just like Sunjay is shooting a lot of 67s and 68s. You're also shooting the 79 and the 80, just like Sunjay is shooting 69 and 70. You're also going to throw the 81 in there a little bit, the 82. Now, you're, gonna, you're not going to shoot 82 as much as you shoot 78. Just like you're not going to shoot 74, 73 as much as you're going to shoot the 78. Just like Sungjae's not going to shoot 63, 64 as much as he's going to shoot the 68. But you're capable of shooting that because of the factors that I just went through. Course management, emotion, luck, all those things factor in to the score into this bell curve and over 18 holes, what we found is this can stretch out and have a range of 10, 11, 12 shots. And those scores can pop up at any moment, just like they did on the weekend for Sungjae. He shot 70, 62, just like maybe you did. You shot 80, 72. And what comes out of your mouth? I'm so inconsistent. No, you're not. You're not inconsistent. That's the game. That's how it works. 
So don't beat yourself up with those seven, eight, nine gaps in between rounds. Now, if you see yourself shooting six handicap, 83, and now all of a sudden 85 and 87, it's like, okay, something's happening here, right? Something's wrong, technique. We've got to get in there and whittle that out and get you developing more skill and get you making better decisions on the golf course and get you to get the emotion out. Can't do much with luck. So we can shift the whole bell curve over. We can shift the whole bell curve over. So now in the middle part of that bell curve perhaps would be 75 and 76, like it would be for a three or four handicap. So that's kind of how it works. And I thought today on a Monday with Sungjae who drives me absolutely not nuts in gambling because of strokes hand approach. But when you look at his scores and you stretch it out over a bell curve, he's no different than anybody else. He's no different than you are. And hopefully this makes some sense because I'll leave you with this. What this comes down to from a consistency standpoint is then it comes to, and it really layers into your expectation level. And I think when people understand this bell curve, they realize that, look, okay, I'm not inconsistent. This is just part of the game. And if I do want to get better, I've got to shift the whole bell curve over. And I think for most players, the opportunity to do that lies in developing more skill, whether it's in full swing, short game putting, also some course management, certainly a little work on the emotional side can help some people. But usually, look, if you're a 15 handicap, we got to develop more skill. We can make better decisions on the course, and then we can improve that probability of things and all of a sudden get you down to a 10 pretty quickly. And we can shift the bell curve over. But when you start seeing scores pop up on the high side outside of that, that's when you usually have a problem. But it's not inconsistent. Sungjae is not inconsistent and neither are you. And you've got to keep those. You've got to understand that and keep it intact because it really frames your expectation level. And what I have found is when people have their expectation level intact and they understand that bell curve and they understand how much time they're putting into it and how that should kind of level out with what their scores are and what you can expect, they enjoy the game better. But when they don't understand the bell curve and there's a big gap to the amount of time that they put in versus the scores that they think they should be shooting, the bigger that gap, the more frustration they have. Expectations key. I think understanding the bell curve just goes right into that. Sung JM, although frustrating in the world of gambling, he's not inconsistent. Hope you enjoyed that. Fun one today. On a Monday, big podcast tomorrow. Beating the Bookie joins us. Beating the Bookie is going to give away his golf package, gambling package for the CJ Cup tomorrow. He is one of the best handicappers in the game. You do not want to miss this. We will break down what is a terrific field for the second week in Vegas. He will give away his full book on the podcast tomorrow. Make it a great Monday. Thank you for being here. Strap Show Podcast. Let's take a second to talk about the folks over at Encore Golf. Encore has earned a reputation across the golf industry and with golfers everywhere for its combination of value, performance, and customer service. Their team in Buffalo, New York, 
is flipping the script on golf technology through perimeter-weighted balls made with the high-density particles and proprietary nanotransitional layer offering players enhanced accuracy, control, and distance. Encore recently added the Vero X1 to its suite of award-winning golf balls, one that already included the Golf Digest Gold-Rated Elixir and Low Compression Avant 55. Through its full suite of golf balls, Encore can help transform any golfer's game. Visit EncoreGolf.com backslash Travis Fulton for more info about Encore and start revolutionizing your game. Now back to the Stripe Show podcast. 